You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God. You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. Welcome to the Beginning of Wisdom Live. I'm Andrew Schumacher, and... Hey, my name is Nick Schumacher. Hey, and we are both here tonight, excited to continue our series looking at the gospel and the Hebrew Roots movement, and just really get getting into the weeds a little bit. It's uh, We're in uh, Romans chapter 9 this week. Uh, starting the section on uh, Israel, really, um, what Paul thinks of um, how physical Israel relates to the gospel uh, in 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. So that is beginning right about now, and we're excited. So before we jump into everything, though, I do want to remind everybody that the podcast is live and ready to go. Um, Go ahead and subscribe to that wherever podcasts happens mm-hmm. to be. If your favorite podcast platform not, does not have mm-hmm. podcast on it, just let us know and we are darn mm-hmm. to yeah. <laughs> and also um, I did put a link because I found out you can link to podcasts. And if I don't know if it works on every device, if like on a computer or whatever, but I know it works on my phone. So I did put a link to the podcast in the description as well to get to it. And hopefully you can get subscribed there. We are trying to get that a lot of traction early on that. The first eight weeks of podcast is up. It has the ability to get featured in new and noteworthy on so the Apple Podcasts. Yes. I will really. Mm-hmm. And rate it. If you like rate the show, it. it's it's the show. It's it's a yeah. beginning of wisdom you know, live podcast form. It's really if cool. I if I have someone sharing the gospel, I always like their stuff, leave it, push it, give it because mm-hmm. that's just Yeah. Helps the algorithms. There's always algorithms. <laughs> so um yeah, so with that, we are going to jump right into uh, Romans chapter 9. And um, go ahead and say hi if you're in the chat. Give this a thumbs up. Like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hi, Misty. Awesome. Hi, Misty. So um, let's get that going. So we're going to jump into Romans chapter 9. I'm going to try to get through 9 and 10 today. I've been doing okay with getting through two chapters, um, that might be kind of hard <laughs> with, with these chapters, but we'll, we'll see if we can make it happen. All right, so let's go ahead and bring that up, and we'll get started. So starting with verse 1, Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness to me in the Holy Spirit that my grief is great, and there is constant distress in my heart. For I could wish myself to be accursed from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my fellow countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, to whom belong the patriarchs, and from whom is the Christ, according to human descent, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So, Right here, um, so much, so much we can we can get into right in these first few verses. But the the key thing to to realize number one is that this is where Paul is beginning to really discuss in earnest his countrymen, his the the Israelites, the Jewish people, and how do they fit in? If and and it's a very important question. As as we got to the end of chapter three. Um, you know, Paul was talking about, you know, being in Christ by faith and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. 
Um, it's all based on his intercession for us. It's God who justifies. It's not, you know, obedience to the law and all that. So he's, he's making this, this very powerful statement about what it means to be a child of God. And with that being the case, the question arises, well, what about Israel? And, and especially since what were we talking about? We were talking about salvation. What is, how does Israel fit into this? And so he, he starts this off by saying there's, he has great grief and distress because many of his fellow countrymen, according to the flesh, many Israelites are not believers. They're not coming to Christ. And so he's, you know, this is causing him anguish. Now, it's not causing him, as we'll see, it's not causing him distress in a, in a sense of he doesn't know what's going on. As an apostle, he, I mean, he may not, I, I don't expect he knows every detail about every life, you know, all the people individually, but but he knows the overall um, purposes of God and, and what's going on here and why this is happening. And that's what he's going to teach us. Um, but he remembers that, you know, the Israelites have the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. This is much like what he said in, I believe, chapter three, when he says, you know, what advantage has the, the Jew much in every way, but what in, in what way? And he talks about it's really the revelation, the fact that they have revelation from God and they're the, the people that God chose to reveal himself to. So that is what he again alludes to here. They have all these benefits and yet, why, yet they don't come to Christ. Um, this kicks off the, uh, the fact that, you know, 9 through 11 are this unit talking about Israel. And so that's, that's something to keep in mind. It, it's very important, especially as we're talking about the Hebrew Roots movement, how Paul relates the descendants of Israel to the gospel and, and all of that. So that's, you know, it's about salvation. It's about why the Jews aren't saved. That's, that's what we're kind of coming, coming around to. Um, so let's, let's move on. So verse 6. But it is not as if the word of God had failed, for not all those who are descended from Israel are truly Israel, nor are they all children because they are descendants of Abraham. But in Isaac your descendants in Isaac will your descendants be named. That is, it is not the children by human descent who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as descendants. So here in 6 through 8, we have his, his overall sort of thesis statement for this section about Israel. We have the fact that not all who are descended from Israel, not who are, you know, come from that line are truly Israel. Are, you know, if, if, and you, you may see here these, you know, um, italicized words, you know, those are words kind of added to make the the English flow where the Greek doesn't have a word. It, it literally says, you know, not all those who are from Israel are Israel. So again, make it, it's making the same point. Not all who are coming from that that group of people are are actually Israel. Well, what does he mean by that? He goes on to say, they nor are they all children because they're descendants of Abraham. So just because they're descendants of Abraham doesn't mean that they're children of God. Um, but he says, in Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, and this is an important phrase we're going to see a lot in, in Paul, and especially in this section of Romans. That is, you know, he, he quotes something in, in the Old Testament, and then he gives his own interpretation of what it means. Um, he says, that is, it is not the children by human descent who are children of God, so the, the, the ones who are, are just descended from Abraham, Rather, it is the children of the promise who are counted as descendants. And we've seen this over and over and over again. We saw it in Galatians. We've seen it already in Romans. That the promise given to Abraham, the gospel preached to Abraham, the, the fact that we come to, you know, to Christ by faith makes us children of the promise. All this stuff has already been said. So he's, he doesn't need to go over it again. But he reminds us, the children of the promise are counted as descendants. 
if you are in Christ by faith, you are a true descendant of Abraham. You are the Israel he's talking about in in chapter 6, or in verse 6 here, that not all who are descended from Israel actually are. You are, if you are in Christ. Um, now, this, it, this resolution, I mean, it's pretty simple. It, it's not complicated to, to set, for him to say, well, the, the true Israelites are the Israelites that are the son of the promise, as, as he's talked about. The ones, you know, who come through faith um, and through, you know, through the promise of God, not through descendants, you know, their, their descendants from the fact that they're a descendant of Abraham. Um, you know, notice that, uh, you know, really this is the polar opposite of the Hebrew roots teaching when they talk about Gentiles being actually physical descendants of Israel and being, you know, just out of covenant. We talked, I did a whole episode on that. Um, but, but notice that the words he actually uses here, you know, we're not just going to gloss over them and say them really quick and, and go to the stuff we like. Um, he says, nor in verse 7, nor are they all children because they're descendants of Abraham. That means not every descendant of Abraham is actually one of God's children, not every, or, or even a child of Abraham. As he just said, not all who are of Israel are Israel. Not all who are descendants of Abraham are you know, actually his children. No, it is not by human descent. And, and, and think about that. When they talk about Gentiles in Paul being actually code for, you know, people who are physically descended from Abraham in the lost tribes of Israel, um, they've got it literally backwards, completely backwards from what Paul is actually saying. Paul's not saying the people who are that he calls Gentiles are actually physical descendants, and that's what makes them it important to you know, bring them back into the covenant and bring them back under the law. Rather, he's saying exactly the opposite, talking here about people who are descended from Abraham. You know, again, notice he's not just limiting this to Jews, you know, and Paul really, Jew and, and Israelite, these are, these are really interchangeable. Um, Paul knows the, where the words come from, but he, that's not how he uses those terms. He doesn't use them the way that, you know, you know those in the Hebrew roots movement who want to push this this particular doctrine will will insist. Um, he says, "True Israel comes by faith. True Israel are the people who are children of the promise, and it doesn't matter what their physical descent is; it just doesn't matter at all." Um, you know, and he says. You know, and this is all to say the word of God has not failed because his children are not children by means of that descent. You know, if if they were, if it, if it was because of that, then, you know, the question would be, well, gosh, why aren't they why aren't they saved? And Paul's saying, well, because it's about something else. And, and he's going to get into that uh, as we go on. Let's go to verse nine. It says, for the statement of the promise is this. At this time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but also when Rebekah conceived children by one man, Isaac, our father, for although they had not been born or done anything good or evil in order that the purpose of God, according to election, might remain, not by works, but by the one who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hate it. Now, this section here, um, what, what is it actually telling us? It says, you know, it's telling us the true line of Israel is never determined by human descent. Um, you know, as you look at the stories of, of the birth of Isaac and the birth of Jacob, both times it's the second son that God chooses to, to continue to be the child of the promise, the, the, the one through whom, you know, he's going to bring salvation um so the norm that normal mode of inheritance the the older you know is the one who inherits that god thwarts it two times because he wants to make it clear this is going to be by his choice it's not going to be according to you know human traditions or human you know efforts it's not going to be about that um 
But remember that even though we're talking about, and this is this is a key thing to, to remember when, when he's talking about his purpose in election and Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will go, well, that's that goes back to, to Malachi. You know, Malachi, and that's about nations, right? It's like, yes, it is, but remember what is this is where we this is where context actually really, really matters. How did this chapter start? When we talk about context, context is the text we're actually looking at. Um, Paul can go to and use other texts, but Paul, we let Paul determine what he means. And when he's talking about is it is it nations or is it individuals, that's not really the point. The point is that God's purpose in election might remain, and that the point of that is to explain why many Jews are not saved. Paul hasn't changed the subject away from salvation. Salvation is the point of this passage, and he's trying to address what about you know, physical descendants uh, of, of Israel, physical Jews? Um, what about them? And, and Paul is saying, well, look back. You know, God, God makes these choices. It's not about what your descent is. Um, if it was about that, then, you know, Ishmael and Esau would, well, not even Esau because it would be Ishmael. So, but, but Ishmael would be chosen. Ishmael's the firstborn. Esau is the firstborn. But that's not how God does it. He, he makes sure that we see that it's his purpose that stands. That's the lesson we're, we're supposed to take away, regardless of whether you, you know, look at, try to make it into nations or, or anything like that. And because the main discussion is around individual Jews not believing in Christ. We can't go and pretend that that never, that part of the chapter never happened and, and avoid that, you know, here just because Malachi is about nations. We have to let Paul interpret the text the way he wants, not in, impose our, our own uh, wishes on, onto the text. So, so he's, he's mentioned here that the purpose is, to, to maintain election and, and, and what, what that means. And he's going to go on and describe what he means by that. So let's go to verse 14. It says, What then shall we say? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For to Moses he says, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. Consequently, therefore, it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who shows mercy. So, notice that, that it is, so Paul, again, he cites an Old Testament text. He says, you know, what shall we say? Is there injustice? No, there's no injustice. May it never be. For God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Um, so, it's based on God's choice. That's, that's what it's based on. And Paul preempts the objection that this could be considered unjust. He says, God is not unjust. You know, there's no injustice with God um, by citing, you know, Exodus 33, 19, where God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, compassion on whom I have compassion. God has the right to do that. Um, and so Paul concludes that salvation or lack of salvation um, of the descendants of Israel doesn't depend on any human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. And one thing we miss in English here in, uh, in verse 16 is that um, we actually have three verbs. They're all present participles. Um, the willing, running, um, in, in that sort of uh, language. So it would be awkward to say it this way in English because mercy isn't a verb, but in, in Greek it is. So when it says God shows mercy, um, what it's actually saying, if we were to make this super literal and, and awkward, is it says, consequently, therefore, it does not depend on the willing man or on the running man, but on the mercying God. So this, this salvation depends not on the willing person or the running person, but on the mercying God. That's what the salvation depends on. Um, it the section just really establishes God's right to choose to save whomever he wants to. Um, that's why there's no injustice, because God has the right to do as he wishes. That's, that's how he escapes 
um, any charge of injustice in this, this section. So we go on in verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very reason I've raised you up so that I may demonstrate my power in you and so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Consequently, therefore, it he has mercy on whomever he wishes and he hardens whomever he wishes. Another very, very uh, controversial text. It's been a lot of writing on it. Um, but, you know, and, and a, a lot of things, a lot of people go back and they, they look at the story of Pharaoh um, and say, well, look, he, yes, it says he hardens whom he wishes, and that's referring to Pharaoh, and, and it does say God hardened his heart, but Pharaoh hardened his own heart first, and, and there's this whole, you know, thing that gets brought up, and we, we, we go back and we dissect Exodus. But the, that's not really the point. Again, the, the point is how Paul is using, using that text now. And notice how it functions here. You know, Paul has already established God's right to have compa compassion on whom he has compassion. He cited, you know, that, that text already. And, and he gives Pharaoh as an example of the fact that God has the right as, as he wishes. And whether Pharaoh hardened his own heart first or not really isn't Paul's point. It, it doesn't have any relevance to, to Paul's citation. Um, Paul cites, you know, Exodus 9.16 here where he says you know i you know for the sake and i'm just going to read it from there it says for, for the sake of this i have caused you to stand for the sake of showing you my strength and in order to proclaim my name in all the earth god says this to pharaoh before any hardening <laughs> or, or god says this you know to you know he, he's making this point you know i've caused pharaoh to be pharaoh in order to bring the plagues in order to bring all the plagues and so whether whether it starts from pharaoh's end and god you know comes in and and makes it even more powerful later that's all all very interesting and it's all something we should really know and understand and study with relation to that story but all those details don't really necessarily come into play in in this story in this text this text is trying to establish one simple thing, and that is God has the right to do what he wishes. And that's the point. And, and he says, and the text Paul cites for that related to Pharaoh is not one of the texts where God hardens his heart, but rather this one where he says, I've raised you up for this purpose. Now, you know, it, it's, that's the point, that, that God is in, in charge. And, you know, so then Paul says... He can harden whomever he wishes. And notice he's not citing a text there. He's, he's coming, he's drawing a conclusion from what he's already uh, cited. All right, going down to verse 19. Therefore you will say to me, why then does, sorry, scroll a little too far. Um, Therefore you'll say to me, why then does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? On the contrary, O oh man, who are you who answers back to God? Will what is molded say to the one who molded it, Why did you make me like this? Or does the potter not have authority over the clay to make from the same lump a vessel that is for honorable use and one that is for ordinary use? And what if God, wanting to demonstrate his wrath and make, his, make known his power, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so in order that he could make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, that he prepared beforehand for glory to us who he also called or us who whom he also called not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles so here Paul he he once again he's got an imaginary objection before he said there's no injustice with God is there no God has the right to do what he wishes but then he the objection comes up in, in his mind again you'll say to me then how does he find fault for who resists his will? And, and that's, a, that's an understandable objection, but it, it's, un, it's understandable because as finite human beings, we tend to think of God as just a more powerful version of us, as if he is subject to the same rules that we are. But he's not. He's the potter and we're the clay. And this is what he, he, can, he goes on to say. And he, he says, he asks questions back. He said, 
you know, will the molded thing say to the one who molded it, why did you make me like this? Well, no, that's absurd. You know, and does the potter not have the right authority to make out of the same lump? One vessel for honorable use, one for common use? Well, yeah, of course. God, God definitely, or a potter definitely has that right. And therefore, you know, God has that right with, with people. And then, you know, he goes on to say in, uh, in verse, or, you know, when he talks about, um, you know, verse 22 there, what if God wanting to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, you know, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, doing this in order to make the riches of his glory, his mercy known to vessels of, sorry, riches of his glory known to vessels, vessels of mercy. So, you know, there, one could try to say, well, look, this is Paul asking a question. He's not making a declaration. Okay, but when Paul says, what if God doing this, you know, what if this was his purpose? You know, I, I don't think you can say that Paul's expected answer is, nah, no, nah, that's not his purpose. Like, like, you can't just escape it by the fact that he asked it as a question. I, this is just my, my thinking on it, but I, I think he's asking as a question, partly because he's already been asking questions and it just flows that way. But also because, you know, he as much as much as he is a divine, you know, divinely inspired apostle, he's not going to speak that boldly about God's purposes um in in something so broad as as why one person is saved and not another. You know, he's just saying, look, I mean, this is one thing that happens. And it's one thing that happened at the time of Exodus, when when the time we're kind of referring to, that God made, you know, he endured these these vessels of wrath with patience, but they were prepared for destruction, and then he he poured out that destruction, showing his glory. I mean, in the entire Old Testament, that is the the quintessential act of God. I mean, it's the central moment of all of the Old Testament in terms of of what God did is the Exodus story, is the, the fact that God took them out of Egypt, showed all his wonders, showed his plagues, part of the Red Sea. That becomes a backdrop for pretty much everything else that, that happens in, in the entire Old Testament. So it's huge. It's it's really a big, big deal. And and so God does, you know, what if he did this to make his his mercy known, to make his glory known to vessels of mercy? And notice once again, he says, you know, Jew to both Jews and Gentiles. So understanding that, as he said it right at the beginning of chapter nine, those true Israel, those who are true Israel, drawn from both Jew and Gentile. Um, so that's a very, very, very powerful, powerful section. Um, verse 25. As he also says in, Hise- in Hosea, I will call those who are who were not my people my people, and those who were not loved loved. And it will be in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now, here he is quoting Hosea and he's connecting this to Gentiles, you know, not only Jews but Gentile, you know, but also Gentiles, as he says, you know, and he goes on to say all these things about Gentiles. Now, Hebrew roots teachers will often point out, and I dealt with this text in, in great detail in my uh, episode on you know, whether Gentiles are the lost tribes of Israel, um, but they will go to great lengths to point out that this text from Hosea, God isn't talking to all the nations. He's talking to the northern tribes that, that are going to be taken into Assyria, and that is very true. Um, but just but that fact, again, we don't just go to what it, what it was in the Old Testament. I mean, we do want to know that, but we don't go to that and say, therefore, that has to be imposed on this text, no matter what this text says. And therefore, when Paul says Gentile, what he really means is northern tribes. Um, because it, it doesn't work for a number of reasons. Number one, because that's not what Paul's saying. <laughs> Um, he's already through this whole book of Romans. Um, every time he's used the word Gentile, um, 
up to this point, you can't you can't make it fit with northern tribes that are that are that are still part of Israel. It it doesn't work, and we've gone over the reasons why. But here, um, we can show that it it is demonstrably false. Um, you know, and 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 we've done that. We we did that looking at chapter two, but the we realize that the whole you know just to to kind of recap that you know Romans chapter two talks about how there are those who are are under the law, which are the Jews, and those are the ones who are judged according to the law, but then the Gentiles who are without law are not judged according to the law. God has a different standard of judgment for people who who didn't grow up under the law, who didn't grow up in that Mosaic covenant where the law was given. They're judged by the law written in their hearts, their, their consciences, and we've gone over that many, many times. Well, if God has a different standard for them, then it takes away the entire motivation for trying to say that they're you know, part of Israel that just are out, quote, out of covenant. Because... The whole point of trying to say they're 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 Israelites is so to say that they're really actually supposed to be keeping the law of Moses, um, but that's not what Paul says. He says no, it, it was never about that. They're not judged by that. They're judged by an entirely different standard. And so, if you take away that motivation, there's really no reason to keep saying that. But there's another reason. Um, there's another thing to realize here. You know, here in chapter nine, remember how it began. Is Paul talking about the difference? I mean, he did mention Jews and Gentiles here, but what is he? What is his subject matter here in chapter nine? What did we see at the beginning? Um, he says, "I for I could wish myself to be accursed from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my fellow countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, not Jews." Paul is including all Israelites when he's and when he says Jews, there's not any text you can find that I, I haven't found one in, in in any of Paul's writings where Paul makes a specific distinction where he says, you know, Israelites but not Jews. You know, Israelites who are not Jews. He he never does that. Um, he never explicitly says anything of the kind. Um, he just in in his in these discourses, we see he uses those terms pretty much interchangeably. Um, and so the correct way of understanding these verses in terms of, you know, well, if, Paul, if God says, you who are not my people, you know, you're going to be my people. Um, if that's about the northern tribes, then how does it apply to Gentiles? Well, again, if you, if you know your is, Israelite history, um, you know that the the northern tribes did those tribes that he's speaking to here, they did get dispersed into the nations, and they never came back the way that the southern tribes did, and so you've got this whole group of of nations in which are Israelites, and so how does God get them back? He says he'll he'll call them back. He says he will. How does he get them back? Not by you know, pretending that that it matters <laughs> that that they're they used to be Jews or they used to be you know part of the nation of Israel. What he does is he goes and he gets all the Gentiles. So the fact that that the Gentiles are being brought in, it, it's bringing in the container in which all the northern tribe, northern Israelites are are in. So that's that's really how he and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying. This, this statement of God is fulfilled by the fact that God is bringing in all the Gentiles, all the nations. Um, so that's, and to hang out on that point for a little while, because that is a, a huge Hebrew roots teaching that's, that's false, but um, it, you know, it's, uh, it's a big misuse of this passage to, to try to say that that proves that, that whenever Paul talks about Gentiles, he's talking about northern tribes. So, keep going. Verse 26. And it will be said, oh, and it will be in, oh, wait, sorry. Uh, we just read that. Verse 27. 
And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Notice he's not talking about Jews. He says, cries out concerning Israel. Even if the number of the sons of Israel is like the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will execute his sentence thoroughly and decisively upon the earth. And just as Isaiah foretold, if the Lord of hosts had not left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have resembled Gomorrah. So, in these second and third citations, so first he, he cited Hosea, then he's citing Isaiah. Um, and once again, he's talking about Israel. Again, not just descendants, but now he's bringing in this concept of a remnant. Notice that it, the remnant is those he's kept for himself, that he's kept um, from you know, going the way of, of, uh, you know, of all the pagans and just he's kept them for himself. The remnant will be saved. Um, so that's, that's what he's, he's pointing out. So, so he's got, got, kind of got two teachings here. He's saying you know, God is, is saving his people, the Jews or the Gentiles, because those who are not my people will be my people, and the Jews because a remnant will be saved. Again, not all the people who are descended from Israel, but the remnant. All right, moving on to verse 30. And this will be the last section of chapter 9. So what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, did not attain to the law. Why that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if by works. They stumbled over the stone that causes people to stumble. Just as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that causes them to fall. And the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. So here we have, again, the, an Old Testament citation that really shows the gospel. The, this is the, the, the gospel of, of salvation by faith. The fact that the one who believes in him will not be put to shame, but what is he? What is Jesus? Jesus is the stone that causes people to stumble, the rock that causes them to fall. This isn't something that caught God unawares. This is something that was always part of the, the plan, always part of, of what he was doing. Um, and, and notice that you know the Gentiles did not pursue the law of righteousness, um, but attained it because it was by faith. But again, notice it's not the Gentiles versus the Jews. It's but Israel. Once again, it's not, not like, oh, just Israel's the southern tribes. No, Israel is Israel. You can't insert stuff. <laughs> so Israel, all of Israel, pursuing the ones that are pursuing the law of righteousness, did not attain to the law. And this is what we've seen many, many times. You know, the, the law is there. It is righteous, but you can't attain it. They did not attain it. And why not? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as if by works. If you try to keep the law, I mean, it, it doesn't work out. It, you, you always fail. But if you, if you pursue God by faith and pursue righteousness by faith, that's when you attain it. Um, and the Gentiles, when he says did not pursue righteousness, I believe he's talking about, through, again, through the law. They didn't try to, to obey God but they had obtained it because it was by faith. Now, there's, there's other books and other letters and other areas, and, and I definitely will do plan on getting to those, that really talk about the interplay between um, how does faith and works and stuff, how does that all fit together? Um, that's not Paul's subject right here. Again, he's talking about righteousness before God, and so he's not really addressing it. He, he'll, as we've seen before, he kind of touches on it a few times, but but he's not going to address, you know, the righteousness, you know, or, or address the the concept of how do works fit into all this. Um, he's just talking about how are people made right before God, and you know, the ones who did it not by faith, they stumbled over that stumbling stone of Jesus, who was placed there by God on purpose, you know, and. The, but the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. Um, God, God has the right to do what he wishes. 
Um, and again, the, the those who are looking to their obedience, those one, those are the ones who generally rejected Christ. And you know, I know that this this is not a statement that applies to every single person in the Hebrew Roots movement um, by any stretch, but it is a it is a common trend, and I've I've even seen you know stuff from Hebrew Roots teachers talking about this trend that people will get started in that movement. They'll get all excited about, Oh, the, the, the roots of their faith and, you know, becoming more and more Hebraic and, and the law and getting excited about that. And they just follow this path that ultimately leads to them rejecting Christ and just going into Orthodox Judaism or, or some form of, of, of Judaism and rejecting Christ because again, they're trying, they're getting so hung up on the obedience of the law as if that's the, the primary thing. And when really it's the secondary thing and because they're looking to that obedience, even if they may say and may say the words, Oh, it, I, I believe in Jesus and it's by faith. Um, many of them still end up rejecting Christ in, in the end. Um, and again, that's not everyone, and I don't, ex, you know, look at any particular Hebrews teacher and say I know that that guy is going to go all the way off and and reject Christ, but but it happens a lot. So, um, the the key thing here that that we're to take away again is the one who believes in Him will not be put to shame. The one who believes in Christ, the one who who's clinging to Him, not to any of this this other stuff. All right, that brings us to the end of chapter 9. Um, we're going to, I don't think I'm going to get through all of chapter 10 uh, because of, of time, but I do. I am glad we get to do some of it because this first part has some major stuff that, that uh, 119 Ministries kind of gets hung up on, and I do want to jump in here to the first few paragraphs of chapter 10. So starting in verse 1, says, brothers, the desire of my heart and my prayer to God on behalf of them is for their salvation. Again, he's never changed the, the topic. Uh, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For according to the, for ignoring the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For God is, or for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Uh, a couple quick points to make in this section. Um, first of all, in verse two, when he says, I testify about them, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know, it, I've had, you know, uh, on my last episode, when I talked about Paul struggling with sin and, you know, as believing that's cause he, as a Pharisee, you know, he wanted to do what was in the law, what was righteous, but he just sin kept getting the way he couldn't. Um, you know, I had a, a comment that, you know, look at all the terrible things Pharisees did. Pharisees didn't keep the law. And that's a, that's a false, first of all, it's a false dichotomy. It's, it's not seeing, it's ignoring what Paul actually is talking about. And this is a perfect example of that. Uh, he's talking about the, the Jews here, the, the Israelites. He says, I testify about them. They have a zeal for God. Right there. They have a zeal for God. But it's not according to knowledge, and and therefore he's he doesn't think it leads to salvation. But he calls it a zeal for God. But even though it says they're ignoring the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, so so Paul's view is not this sort of black and white like Pharisees bad, um, therefore you know ignore everything. Um, no, it's Pharisees don't understand what they're doing, and and, and Israelites don't understand what they're doing when they are trying to establish righteousness through the law. That's, but, but he sees that they have a zeal for God in doing so, but that isn't good enough. That isn't enough for them to be saved. They need to stop trying to establish their righteousness through works of the law and begin to do it through um, by trusting in Christ. So, but then he says here in verse 4, and this is the, uh, a big, big passage, a big verse that, that gets talked about, uh, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So a lot of Hebrews folks will talk about that, that word, the end of the law. 
is telos in the Greek, which it can mean purpose. Um, and therefore they will say, well, therefore it does mean purpose. And that what Paul is really saying here is that Jesus is the purpose of the law and that, that the law points to Christ. And that's really what he's saying. So to dissect that argument, um, I just want to point something out. When you have a, t a word that can mean something, just because you like that meaning better than the other meaning doesn't mean that's what Paul meant. Context. <laughs> it's, it's not just, oh, well, therefore it means Christ is the purpose of the law. This couldn't be the end of the law, you know. But there, the problem, too, is let's look at the context. He doesn't say the end of the law, full stop. He says the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. For the one who believes in Christ, that is the end of the law being used for righteousness. What did the previous verse just say? For ignoring the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Paul is talking about the contrast between achieving righteousness by faith and trying to achieve it based on your obedience. And that is what verse 4 is about. Christ is the end of the law for that purpose. The law cannot serve that purpose for the one who's in Christ. The law doesn't establish any righteousness if you're in Christ. Christ establishes that righteousness. The law, it, it, again, he's, he's already gone into this, you know, what the law really does. It you know, brings knowledge of sin. It brings condemnation and death because it's perfect and, and can't be attained perfectly. That's what the law does. So it's, it's really an uncontroversial statement, but everyone just sees this phrase, end of the law, and they think, we've got to reinterpret that. And, and really, you don't. I mean, I think you could be someone in the Hebrew Roots movement and, and believe what I just said and have no problem with it um, if you weren't caught up in, in some idea that you do need to keep the law for righteousness' sake. Um, if you think that, then your your verse four is 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 coming right against you. I'm afraid. All right, this next section will be the last one we look at um, Romans five through thirteen, uh, ten five through thirteen, um, and this is because it gets just uh, just massacred uh, in that one nineteen gospel video. Um, so. He goes on here in verse 5. He says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The person who does this will live by it. But the righteousness from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your heart, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, who is rich to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So a lot of stuff in this section, um, but I want to talk about, I, would, I just kind of want to walk through it with you and talk about some, some bad teaching that gets drawn from this, this text. So in verses 5 and 6, you know, Paul talks about the righteousness of the law and the, you know, from the law and the righteousness by faith. Um, and he, he talks about what they say, what these different righteousnesses say. The righteousness from the law, Moses writes about that, that the person who does this will live by it. So the person who does the law will live by that law. So again, it's it, he said this in, in other ways before, but basically if you if you depend on this, you'll you'll live according to this. If and if if you don't do it right, then you'll you'll die. Um, but then he says the righteousness from faith says these other things. So what what happens, it says, you know, what I, what I need to, to kind of talk about here is, is 119 Ministries, in their gospel video, they, they cite and recite this text over and over and over again. And they point out that 
that this is a you know a section where where Paul is actually quoting from Deuteronomy, which he is. Uh, he says, "Do not say in your heart who will descend into heaven." And I think the way I've got this set up, you can see if I hover here, quotation from Deuteronomy 30, verse 12, or who will descend into the abyss. Next verse, 13. Um, it says, the word is near you in your mouth and your heart. Verse 14. So he's citing sort of a, a bit of a longer section, a few verses um, from Deuteronomy 30. And he says, don't say these things. But, and, and, when it says the word is near you in your mouth and your heart, 119 ministry says, well, see, this proves, you know, that this, that the, the law is near you and you can keep it. Um, but there, there's a couple things that they, they miss. So um, once again, what matters here is not necessarily what the text meant in its original context, though we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. What matters is Paul's use. What does Paul mean when he's using this text? In, its, in the original context, if you read Rome, Deuteronomy 30, um, what Moses is saying is this law is not unknown to you. This law is close to you. It's not something you need to go across the sea or go, you know, ascend into heaven or descend into the abyss or, or anything to go find what God wants, you know, what God commands you to do. It's right here, you know, very close. So, and therefore you, you know, you can do it because it's close to you. Now, 119 Ministries will say, therefore you can do it and it's not too burdensome and it's not hard and it's not impossible. Because um, it says there, it says you can do it, but you can do it is in the context of you can know what it is. It's not something that you go have to go on a journey to find the law. It's it's right here. God gave it right to you. That's the original context of what, what Moses is talking about. But what does Paul say? Again, remember when I said earlier, Paul gives us what he means, and he uses this phrase, that is. So when he's citing these texts, he says, who will ascend into heaven? And then Paul says, that is to bring Christ down. Not the law, Christ. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and your heart. That is heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. What what Paul is saying, and and it's going to go on. I'm I'm going to get to that. But but I just want to focus on these three citations. Paul's talking about Christ, and he's saying the same thing about Christ that. Moses was saying about the law that you don't have to go on a great journey and, and achieve, you know, go some, you know, do something magnificent in order to, um, to get to Christ. Um, it's that word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. Faith in Christ is something that is very close. It's very, you know, it, you don't have to go far to, to get to it. Um, and so that's the righteousness from faith is that, you know, that you can get to Christ by faith. Um, and in fact, Paul tells us this even more explicitly as we continue to read. He says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He comes right out and says it. Look, this is the word of faith that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And, and again, why is that? Because, um, and he goes on to say, and this, this touches on a different subject, but what does it mean to confess Jesus is Lord? Um, he goes on, for with the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness, with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, who is rich upon all who call on him. For, citing the Old Testament again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, this, these verses totally destroy the, you know, the anti-Trinitarian, you know, sort of wing. <laughs> Of, of the Hebrew roots movement, because 
what is it that saves us? Confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Well, what is Lord? You know, what, what does that mean? Well, Paul doesn't just say that in a vacuum. He backs it up with Scripture in verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, guess what that is? That's Joel 2.32. Joel 2.32 says everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. What about believing in him? You know, it says, with the heart one believes resulting in righteousness. It says in verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Believes in whom? Well, this is coming from Isaiah 28, 16. And it's, it's referring to Yahweh. The reason confessing Jesus is Lord saves is because he is the Lord that Joel is talking about. And the reason believing in him results in righteousness is because everyone who believes in him, Yahweh, will not be put to shame. Because this is because Jesus is Yahweh. This this citation doesn't work if Jesus isn't Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, believing Jesus is Lord because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but they're two different lords. That you know, you have to you really have to twist it to try to, to try to make that work. Um and you've really got to be a slave to your own human traditions to make that work. Um, you know, and, and so the idea that, that um, you know, this, this text here is, is giving us kind of everything. It's, it's pointing out that righteousness, this righteousness comes from faith in Christ because faith in Christ is faith in God. And... And, it's, and, and Paul is reworking what Moses said about the law in Deuteronomy to say, really, it's about Christ. Don't think you have to go find Christ. Um, Christ is, you know, the word of faith in Christ is in your mouth and in your heart. It's right here. Um, very, very, very powerful stuff. Um, and I just want to make sure I don't miss anything else there. No, I think I actually, yeah. Uh, maybe I haven't gone to the questions yet, but um, just finishing up. So I'm going to stop there. And yes, we do have uh, questions, uh, I believe. And okay. so I'm going to go ahead and we'll go go on to that section. Okay. So. Applies to what you're saying. Or even to the okay, uh, Matthew seven one. And I apologize there. if I, <laughs> I had to sneak <laughs> out and. All right, okay. So um, Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three. So bring that up so everyone can see what I'm reading. Does not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Um, very, very common passage to hear uh, from those in the Hebrew Roots movement. Um, because he says lawlessness. And so, yeah, it's, it's not, this, this really matters, right? And it does. Um, I think what this is, so what was Misty's question exactly? Let me make sure I don't, for, don't lose track of that. Okay, so seven applies to what you were about those not in Christ, by, but by works. Or even to those adding works, their final self. I see. Yes, um, I, I see what you're saying. So basically, if someone is depending on works, we could see that here. You know, we're saying, you know, didn't we do these main, many great works in your name? Yeah. And you see that they're, what, what are they depending on? They're depending on their works. They're not, you know, they say, Lord, Lord, but then they, but when on that day, they will say, Lord, did we not and then go on to talk about the things they did. Um, 
but then he's he says they are actually lawless they actually are you know sinners and and he says i and this is i think he says they're they're lawless but but notice this other phrase i never knew you i never knew you um jesus you know he this again knowing them is this is a relational thing does jesus know who they are does he know everything about them of course um but he never knew them he never was in that that relationship with them and i think this is something that we should always this text is is a a huge warning for literally everyone who is a believer to if you if you think well i believe in jesus um and there's no way if I believe in Jesus, there's no way that um, I could be deceived or wrong about anything. Um, like, well, what is what does that look like, really? I mean, you should really understand your scriptures because um, not everyone who says "Lord, Lord." Now we just read in in all in in Romans ten, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. So, so what's, what's the interplay here? I, I think the interplay is, I think, I think Misty's pretty much um, onto the main point is that, you know, not everyone it, who, people who say, Lord, Lord, and it goes on in verse 22, they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? And, and they start appealing to their, their good works and their many, many great things that they did for God um, rather than appealing to him. And that's the, key thing you know those who who trust in him you know will not be put to shame and i think you know not based on this particular text but but on on many texts that that when it comes to salvation when it comes to that day if jesus if jesus were to ask actually ask me i don't think he will i think he'll just make his declarations and judgments on on that day we're not going to really have anything much to say at that point but if you, if hypothetically, if you were to ask me, like, why, you know, why should you be saved? Why should, you know, I'm not even going to say, Lord, I believed in you, you know, or any, or really even point to anything I did. It is just, it would just be. Yeah. <laughs> you Lord, don't get it. Didn't I do it? Didn't I do it? Didn't I believe no, right? Yeah. You know? Um, How about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Lord, be. <laughs> Because please, there's know. nothing we need to say about ourselves in this situation. <laughs> this situation, all, like we didn't do. Got nothing. We got nothing. Yeah. I got nothing. There's nothing. We did. Um, it's all him and his mm-hmm. work. So it's Amen. not not even like I believed in you. It's like, Lord, because because you are merciful and and please save me. You know that's mm-hmm. why that's what I'm appealing to. Um, and not that again. I, I don't think that'll actually happen that way. But but I think that's really what um what it comes down to um so let me see do we have more do we have any more looking through the chat here myself too i want to say hi hello mm-hmm. to Anna, mm-hmm. to valid core hey we Mm-hmm. All the universe the like apologetics. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. All and fellowship. Really special. Um, <laughs> but it is. Yeah. It's hard to have these kind of. It is. It, it really is. And so, um, so yeah, I, uh, I'm super thankful for tonight. Thankful that Nikki could be here. Thanks, darling. I tried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as much as she could. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we're getting it. We're, we're getting there. So, um, just want to say subscribe to the podcast. Seriously. Even if you don't listen to podcasts, yeah. do it. Um, yeah, rate the podcast. Really- so it's all about the podcast right now. And um and we will see you guys. Spreading the gospel. 
Yeah. See you next week. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast. You can follow Andrew Schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org, where you can find links to the YouTube channel and follow on social media. Sign up for email alerts to never miss new content. Please like, share, and rate the episode if it has blessed you. God bless and always be ready.